Who do you imagine when you think of a typical computer programmer? It's a man, a young man. That's just a reality. Interestingly, the world's first computer programmer was a woman, Lady Ada Lovelace. She wrote the world's first complex computing program for Charles Bridges and Little Engine in 1843. Her program had line-by-line -line instructions, looping, and even branching. Fortunately, she published her work on her husband's insistence with only her initials, A A L. She died at the age of 36, and then she was written out of history. Until 100 years in the 1950s Alan Turing a mathematician who led a team to break the German Enigma code mentioned Ada's work in his seminal work that's when the world revisits Ada the founders of computing In the 1960s Grace Hopper another outstanding woman came out with a groundbreaking idea of using words in programming She even found the first bug and coined the word debugging while a few years later margaret hamilton a 21 year old trailblazing computer engineer and a working mother coined the word software in the 1960s she led a team that built the software critical to landing astronauts of apollo 11 on the moon and returning them safely a few days later in india In 1885, Anandibai Gopal Rao Joshi created history. She faced condemnation from a conservative society for aspiring to be a medical doctor. She resisted these censures and with sheer grit broke those barriers to attain a degree in medicine in the United States while her husband Gopal Rao was by her side. Anandibai earned her degree from the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. She died of tuberculosis at the age 22. Hi, I'm Shino, the host of #Women, a podcast where we bring you the latest from the field of gender innovations, women issues, news about women's research and women in research. This week we will explore why there are so less women in the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics, otherwise known as STEM. Women like Ada and Anandibai may have been among a handful who managed to leave the gender barrier. In India, since Anandibai, women were carving out a space for themselves and challenging gender stereotypes. In 1933, Kamla Bhagwat had to protest outside Nobel laureate C.V. Raman's office to gain admission to the Indian Institute of Sciences at Bangalore for a master's program. Raman was adamant that he would not take girls in the institute but Kamla stood her ground and won She went on to become India's first woman with a PhD in science Kamla worked on proteins in milk pulses and legumes a subject that had important implications for nutritional practices in India She would also have a dazzling career as a premier biochemist at Cambridge Before Kamla Padmashri E.K. Janaki Ammal from Kerala, a renowned botanist, 
was awarded a doctorate in science in 1931 in Michigan. She went on to become the founder fellow of the Indian Academy of Sciences. Her contributions to genetics, evolution, phytogeography, and ethnobotany have been crucial. After Kamla and Janaki, a series of women broke the glass ceiling. Annamani, a PhD in 1945, came to be known for her work in atmospheric physics. She was also the only woman to have worked with the C. V. Raman. Anjali Mukherjee, an environmentalist from Rajeshwari Chatterjee, was the first woman she retired as a professor. She believed as a child that plants had a heart and brain, and she set out to find them. Part One. The leaky pipeline. Today, India finds itself at the top in the world when producing female graduates in STEM, but ranks 19 in employing them. To give you a fair idea, 43% of young Indians who graduate in science, technology, engineering, and maths disciplines, otherwise known as STEM, are women. Of these. Just three percent women enrolled in PhD in science, and six percent opt for a PhD in engineering and technology. Today, women constitute fourteen percent of India's two point eight lakh scientists, engineers, and technologists who are employed with the various research development institutions, according to the UNESCO's Institute for Statistics June twenty nineteen report. In fact, India is the eighth lowest ranking country. in employing women in stem professions our neighbors countries like sri lanka has 47% women workforce in scientific institutions in china 39% of the scientific community are women pakistan has 38% women in the scientific community today many sociologists agree that the paucity of women in stem professions is not merely because women are less capable but it is also a result of stereotypical gender roles that women have to resign to there are two very simple uh, visible and obvious reasons this is professor rohini godbole a world renowned particle physicist who was associated in the search for the higgs particle at cern for 35 years she is a science communicator and a strong advocate for equity in stem A Padma Shri Award recipient, Professor Godbole, was speaking at the TED conference at ISER in Pune in March this year. One of them is the one that I said is specific to science. What happens is that with any other degree, you get a degree, you start a job, you become a doctor. Maybe in a two years' time, you become a practicing uh, surgeon or a practicing uh, whatever you want to do. But with a career in science, it's actually after your PhD. that your real work begins you need to you know you need to set establish yourself you need to sculpt your own place you need to find your own niche and it is also the time when you must also have children because the body clock is ticking so both the clocks are ticking science doesn't wait for anybody but not does the body and that's perhaps one of the things that's very different for science women in science than for anybody else in india most women face what sociologists call the dual role syndrome where professional decisions are mostly affected by domestic responsibilities it means there exists an inverse trend between female labor participation and their marital status women generally drop out of workforce around mid career level this then results in scarce women in leadership roles 
This is starkly depicted in the recent National Institution for Transforming India IOC 2017 study which interviewed 991 women engaged in science professions with leading institutions like IITs, IISCRs, NITs. The study revealed that just 1% of these women had been working in their current designation for more than 9 years. A large number, almost 70% of them, had been working in their current designation for more than 3 years, clearly indicating how many women opt out of science profession around their mid-careers. One of the reasons women pointed out was family care, which was a major reason for refusing a challenging opportunity in their careers. Almost 47% of the 991 women agreed to this fact. The other factor the study touched upon were a promotions 15% of the women who participated in the survey said that they got four or more promotions while at large 40% women claimed that they did not get any today in this special edition of hashtag women we have with us professor tanishta samanda associate professor at the department of social sciences at flame school of liberal education pune her recent research argues how in workplaces working mothers encounter systematic disadvantages While teaching social sciences at the Indian Institute of Technology Gandhinagar in 2018 Dr Tanishta Samanda researched on the issue of motherhood penalty where she examined how gender roles and patriarchal codes created unequal outcomes for middle class women and men in their science careers Professor Tanishta how important is the study on motherhood penalty in the context of the Indian situation in STEM Yeah, so uh, you know, I mean, motherhood penalty is a question that has not been examined in the Indian context. Mm-hmm. So I think, to the best of my knowledge, um, there is one study which uh, does not necessarily look at penalty, but um, but looks at the relationship between motherhood and employment, uh, and also motherhood and education on outcomes, right? So uh, sociological scholarship, uh, you know, I think this is one of the first of its kind that looks at, um, you know, what is the role of uh, motherhood, so to speak, uh, in terms of um, professional continuity among, uh, you know, women in in science organizations. So that that uh, you know, I think it's pretty novel in that way. Um, so we were uh, generally interested in this question uh, because you know that uh, this particular paper. looks at um you know uh, women in in professions that specialize in stem disciplines right science technology engineering and medicine mm-hmm. uh, so this particular science organizations you know mostly women and also men come from uh, you know a basic sciences or with engineering um, uh, degree so um, so we were interested in this paper primarily because um, you know the empirical paradox which has been there in india for a long time which is um, you see recently higher rates of um, you know women's uh, enrollment in stem discipline uh, in india whereas um, you don't see significant changes in terms of their employment in top science positions so although you see uh, you know women actually entering stem uh, disciplines in terms of getting degrees but they don't end up becoming say you know top scientists or directors of labs or heads of scientific committees 
So we wanted to look at, you know, what exactly is happening at the transition from getting degrees in sciences is not necessarily translating into making these women, uh, you know, hold uh, important positions of uh, um, power in science professions. So this was essentially the empirical paradox that uh, we were interested in looking at. Dr. Tanishta's study found that women professionals constituted just 17% of the 1,249 scientific staff members at IIT Gandhinagar. Of these, just 5 of the 222 women made it to the top level 6 post against 41 male counterparts. There were no women who were designated as distinguished or outstanding scientists. When it came to managerial responsibilities of the 172 positions at IIT Gandhinagar, only one woman in 2018 could manage to become a deputy director. The rest were all stacked up at entry-level positions. So, you know, what uh, we, we tried to find out is that um, so many of these, uh, you know, women or female uh, graduates, you know, who primarily come from um, middle-class backgrounds, right? Uh, you know, with with um, certain forms of um, educational degrees, which are, of course, as you know, that you know, India is very stratified in terms of um, even educational outcomes, right? So, so many women and even men from lower caste or from certain religious communities do not even have access to higher education. So that was the reason, you know, we uh, in, you know intentionally wanted to focus on middle class because this is something that uh, is is more commonly at least. Uh, you know, observable, so to speak, uh, among the middle classes. You know, uh, motherhood penalty can be explained. This is what we also show, finally, you know, based on the qualitative interviews that we did with science, female, uh, you know, and both male uh, science professions in this top research organization. Um, so we, we found that um, childhood, you know, socialization was an important, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, factor that, that made uh, both women and men perceive their own professions differently. So, for example, you might know, we mentioned this in our paper as well, that, um, you know, the, the kind of gender norms that govern, um, you know, different expectations from men and women, regardless of their education and employment uh, achievements. So, it doesn't matter, you know, if this particular woman has received, you know, uh, higher education degrees from top colleges or universities, when it comes to uh, certain, you know, feminine, so to speak, roles, you know, uh, for example, child rearing um, or, you know, uh, household work or in terms of caregiving responsibilities that still remain circumscribed within uh, middle class values of family obligations, you know, gender norms, which which dictate, you know, appropriate uh, social and gender behavior. So this is exactly what we found through the interviews that we conducted with uh, women in our study. How are motherhood penalty and cultural context related? And... How does this affect women's employment in STEM? So, um, so because, you know, we, we try to understand this lack, so to speak, this gap between men and women, uh, particularly married and, and, you know, women and men who, who are parents, right? We, because that's the lens we are using. We're looking through the lens of parenthood or more generally to the lens of motherhood. And what we saw that um, many of these women, you know, uh, at least in the study that we um, conducted, so um, we found that... Uh, uh, the gender norms continue to uh, govern their lives even when they come back from their maternity leave, right? So, so even when you know you know that in 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 India, which is also an interesting uh, you know uh, phenomenon, 
uh, in India, you know, women do get um, a significantly longer maternity leave as compared to, say, other countries in the world, say, for example, the U.S. for that matter. Um, whereas uh, compared to that, you don't see, you know, uh, a same level of paternity leave given. So, for example, you know, I can give you the numbers. So it's approximately 182 days or around 26 weeks of maternity leave as opposed to, um, I think, 15 days of paternity leave. So this institutional policy as such is also reflective of the gender norms that are at work, which uh, largely, uh, you know, uh, translates into women as being the sole or at least being the primary caregivers of infant children or primary caregivers of um, children, uh, you know, so to speak. So um, so many of these women, at least in the study that we found that um, despite being, you know, qualified and competent, um, they were not, uh, uh, you know, um, recognized as deserving candidates because, because of their motherhood. This is essentially the motherhood penalty that, that you know, motherhood almost uh, penalizes their, or it kind of chokes their, uh, you know, promotion-related activities or, uh, you know, um, certain uh, serving on certain important boards or scientific organizations because, you know, mostly these decisions are being taken by um, comparable male colleagues. Uh, um, given the institutional and policy and I think the gender climate, uh, all of these factors combined come in the way of uh, women taking up this important role. So to answer your question, you know, in, in, in short, maybe in one sentence, uh, you know, I can say that it's a combination of institutional framework that are at place, for example, the maternity leave policies or leave policies more generally, and uh, a kind of a combination of gender uh, kind of uh, expectations and behaviors that are at work, which, which both, you know, make this very interesting, although unfortunate cocktail uh, where, you know, women lose out. In, in kind of, uh, you know, taking up important roles um, as leaders in scientific organizations or, uh, you know, uh, being um, uh, important uh, uh, stakeholders in, in other scientific committees as well. Most of the respondents in your research either have middle or upper middle class backgrounds or have combined household incomes. What does families who belong to marginalized castes or communities, does motherhood penalty apply to them as well? a very valid question and uh, you know unfortunately uh, you know we were not um, as part of the study uh, were able to include largely because it is also reflective of how science organizations you know type top science organizations in this country operate uh, um, despite you know having um, reservation policies and affirmative action for over almost 50 years so um, we couldn't include um, any women or men for the pattern from um, you know disadvantaged uh, or caste uh, backgrounds uh, for example, STHCs or OPCs, primarily because there weren't any. So, uh, so which is reflective of the the kind of you know what sociologists say and any capture of um, higher education spaces. So, you mostly see uh, either scientists or even you know some of the scientific leaders, directors of uh, say the scientific you know uh, CSIR labs or directors of IITs and all of these uh, important scientific uh, you know, organizations. Uh, primarily uh, dominated by upper caste Hindus, right? So it's a very clear and a very well-established sociological phenomenon. So, uh, but to your question, whether, you know, motherhood penalty will play out in the same way or whether it will be different, uh, well, I mean, uh, from not from this particular study, but from, uh, you know, my other sociological reading, I mean, it's, it's very clear that, you know, penalty associated with motherhood, uh, especially in non-material terms, which is what we demonstrate in this particular paper, will be very common. And in fact, um, uh, you know, will be much more heightened in in uh, lower income, uh, you know, or even uh, lower caste groups 
because you know i mean disadvantaged communities uh, are disadvantaged not only because of their um, social uh, you know identity which is either caste or uh, you know religious uh, kind of uh, minority status but also because of other structural factors that are uh, you know operating on them so i would say you know mother penalty in in among women from the lower caste group will be perhaps much more heightened than what we see um, among uh, middle class hindus here professor uh, how do women overcome these barriers are there any recommendations from your research yeah i mean it's a fair question you know we don't uh, um mention any recommendations it's just felt that from a small study you know which is not even generalizable we didn't think whether uh, you know we could offer recommendations but surely your question is very legitimate um so you know as a sociologist uh, i definitely feel um like you you know rightly pointed out that you know um it's not possible to radically uh, uh, you know change the gender system at work right i mean it's, it's definitely not possible you know or else we would have already achieved that we would have more gender equitable workplaces or or families and so on and so forth by now but that hasn't happened but there are two things which which i definitely i'm thinking that um uh, you know can can change even if marginally uh, or uh, you know at what the uh, the motherhood penalty or any penalty that is associated with um, you know gender outcome so first is um, uh, childhood socialization you know sociologists have always identified that it's very important for um, children to experience gender equitable childhood which means that uh, both parents uh, and you know other agents of socialization for example school system so should foster an open space where children you know uh, have more gender neutral uh, kind of childhood so so that you know from the very beginning they are not uh, uh, you know segregated by gender so it's not useful for say, for example boys to always little boys to always play with you know toy cars or little girls to always play with uh, dolls in fact you know there should be more inclusive uh, is you know i mean kind of uh, even toys to begin with and some sociologists and social psychologists have shown that you know even starting young uh, as young as say 3 year old you know have significant influence in the way uh, men and women make their later life choices and you know, if they are able to provide more gender neutral uh, more than gender as they say androgynous childhood you know it's completely possible that um, you know some of these uh, very gendered behaviors in terms of career choices in terms of roles you know might be eroded so that that's one you know how sociologically childhood socialization can play an important part in in somewhat you know a marginally um, maybe um, eroding some of the very strong uh, gender systems that are work the other thing which is of course you know very much doable i think uh, and and many countries in many corporations um, including private and public i think there have been some efforts towards that direction is to generally have more uh, gender equitable workplaces and it is very clear you know from the interviews that we had you know women uh, you know constantly complained of uh, the kind of a dual and sometimes triple burden of taking care of their professional demands taking care of their family uh, needs and also at the same time being the primary caregiver uh, for their uh, infant children so i think to have um, you know for example labor union uh, which almost uh, has now a kind of a stigmatized you know existence uh, uh, in in professional space i think they should they should kind of be encouraged so that you know i mean uh it's it's helpful for you know women and even men's collective to to forge solidarity 
And finally, I think which is what uh, you know any sociologist or policymaker you know working on issues of gender will say is to is to have a more productive and inclusive dialogue, which includes not only women but also men, because uh, you know we we often forget um, that that the story is incomplete if we don't include men. For example, you know childcare or for that matter uh, um, leave policies. You know they should actually include actively include men. And 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 you know and, and once we start you know, having these kind of institutional policy changes at work, uh, you know certain feminine, so to speak, feminine uh, you know chores, for example, caregiving or you know uh, um, taking care of a child or taking care of elderly members, you know they will no longer be feminine chores, and and men will feel less stigmatized to accept those roles and step into those roles, and and hence fostering. uh you know more gender equal families and workplaces so that's that's a very clear link that we see in in other countries as well part 2 hard hat and lab coat culture today a large number of women attain advanced degrees in sciences but it does not translate into those holding senior positions in research or the educational sectors mainly because there are persistent low levels of women's representation in science and technology fields it does not end there gender discrimination manifests in hiring practices grants allocation for projects peer acceptance attaining fellowships independent projects and even selecting candidates for awards the case of the prestigious shanti swarup bhatnagar award instituted by CSIR for outstanding research in the sciences medicine and physics is worth citing most of the recipients are men in 2019 only one out of 19 bhatnagar awardees was a woman the key global workforce insights a study in 2018 found that 81% of indian women in stem professions faced gender bias and a large proportion of women that means 61% in india 57 in china and 44% in us felt that their companies did not offer a top position the study also claims that in india and elsewhere in the world women in stem jobs are highly ambitious and driven but gender bias and hostile work cultures are leading them to feel stalled nearly 20% women in india 30% in china and 32% of women in us were more likely than their male peers to leave their stem positions within a year there are many things which i call invisible bias and not just i royal society of uh, in uh, london also has identified this now what is this invisible bias i can go on listing i don't have the time but i can tell you in my opinion all the invisible biases essentially are due to a lack of importance that society and scientific community gives to women's participation in scientific research and a science career okay that is really the point the first point that is the in the eyes of the society since research is not important you know i'll tell you something simple a mother in law will very merrily look after the uh, children when the daughter in law is a you know high flown uh, gynecologist and who is invited in the middle of the night to deliver a baby and she will be even proud of it 
but she will not understand why the same daughter in law has to go to the laboratory to look after her drosophila flies in the flies in the middle of the night she would try to tell her to change her area of research okay so that is what is the problem the problem is also affects the mentorship that women get i have seen examples of this and i have seen how positive or negative mentorship directly implies that a person will stay in the field and grow or go away role models are a third very important thing and many of my contributors to leelawati's daughters have listed help from extended family as well as equally well the the mentorship from senior professional colleagues as two things that help them move onwards so clearly it works these are small things that individuals institutions people can do and these are small things that help this stop this drop off another invisible bias is joint careers dual careers and in fact the standard statement is we do not hire couples together in fact two nobel laureates that i know of maria gopat meher and rosalind yalo both of them actually were not immune to this problem and it is this issue that i think the institutes can really be very sensitive to this is something that the institute can look at very carefully the third invisible bias that you can think about is also about lack of recognition or delayed recognition i can talk about rosalind franklin i can talk about vera rubin i can talk about jocelyn bell not that these recognitions and awards are they are important for the women concerned but even more important is that the lack of these rewards reinforce the you know the import lack of importance of women uh, science for women and women for science in the eyes of the society and last but not the least the in last invisible bias is the gender and i will not say just gender but unequitable workplace non inclusive workplace and here i don't talk only about sexual harassment i talk about all kinds of gender harassment and these are the different invisible biases that a woman in science has to fight and many of these are specific to women in science. so what's the cure the cure is of course policies the, and i have already talked about some changes in the mindset and some societal conventions so let me tell you that i'm really really proud that in india we had some of the first enablers uh, that were introduced by the government the department of science and technology and biotechnology and they were the majors to get allow women to come back after a break and it has been flawed as it is that system has been reasonably successful in 10 years the share of women in projects of department of science and technology went on from 15% to 25% so it works but now the point is what you really want is not to take a break and come back again because science does not wait obviously this policy was framed by not a web by a woman the point is you need to involve women in such policy decisions and what would be a ideal policy decision that can you minimize the break you know career when you are going through this initial speed breakers almost all the contributors of lilavati's daughter said just help us getting a level playing field field in these few years and after that we don't need any others extra you know concessions so this is something and also another point is 
that one has to realize and make these policies as gender neutral as possible because rearing a child only a woman can do but rearing anybody everybody can do in fact i have seen my own you know closer to home my own nephew arranging his flexible schedule because he had a flexi time job so that his wife engineering wife engineer wife can go back to work sooner after the young one was born then he can take care of it there is a crèche in icer there and again he used to keep his child in that icer asked crèche and i have seen there many men coming and keeping their children so crèches are not for women alone crèches are for everybody so every measure that you introduce the more you make gender gender neutral the more chance you have of it being successful to arrive further part 3 building an inclusive environment the root of these problems lies in the gender roles that are assigned by our families at an early age most women felt almost 76% of them that their male counterparts have a genetic advantage in stem subjects maths and science india's national education policy 2020 recognizes a need for diversity in the constitution of its gender inclusion fund which is bound to implement provisions critical for improving access to education for all women as well as transgender students but these policies will bear fruits if early investment in reskilling and promotion of stem education is done this will in turn help break down gender stereotypes stem subjects should be early in school by blending it with other disciplines this means making stem learning more engaging and inspiring for girls female role models mentors and sensitization of teachers on gender issues can also change stereotypical perceptions science and technology are important for economic productivity social mobility and innovations and we need more policies that are aimed at encouraging and retaining women in the stem pipeline breaking myths and stereotypes around stem is not only crucial to achieve gender equality but also our social development goals in the end i would like to play for our listeners short clips from google india's women in stem series a clan of amazing individuals and what they have to say to our young aspiring scientists hi i am ritu karithal deputy operations director of mars orbit mission since my childhood i had this passion towards science i realized that science is not just a subject for me it was a passion for me when i got the intimation letter from isro my parents showed their utter confidence in their daughter and sent me here my work basically is in a mission design so as a mission designer we had to see what are the real mission objectives of this mission and how it can be achieved presently i am working for chandrayaan 2 this is the first indian lunar mission uh, where a rover will rove on the lunar surface when you are passionate about something 
that always keeps you going. It doesn't matter who comes as a hurdle in front of you or what obstacles comes, that all doesn't matter. So without the support of the family members, a women at least can't manage to keep up with the objectives or keep up with the goals. Pregnancy is a beautiful part of a woman's life. When your spouse or partner always ready to help you, and you already you will be always uh, be able to overcome all the complexities or all the problems which come up. Even I was on leave, I was doing work at home, and then he was also taking care. So it it was going, you know, in like a mutual understanding. When the people around you observe the honesty within you, the honesty towards the work, the honesty towards your passion, the mindset itself starts like, yes, we also should help you, we also should support you. My advice to young girls is pursue your dreams and passion without worrying about any problems, but don't give up your dreams and passion. So my advice to the parents is they should support the girls, their daughters. Believe me, they'll make you proud. I'm Shambhamitra Bandopadhyay. I'm the director of Indian Statistical Institute. To be honest, I was really never very ambitious, but uh, what was important to me was to do whatever I was doing in the best possible way. My friends would talk about how they would get married and then their husbands, how they would support her and buy her saris and uh, cars matching the color of the sari. But I would think that they never thought that they would buy the cars themselves. I thank my lucky stars that I did decide to move on to computer science, which is again an extremely logical subject. Again, you don't have to memorize too many things. I don't think anybody who's got uh, prizes or honors or um, awards ever thinks does the work by targeting that award. The award just comes on the way. Given any data set, we, had, we were developing methods of grouping that data. Huh? Because if you know nothing about something, uh, any, any particular domain, if you know nothing, then what you usually want to do is to try to group things together so that you have a handle on, of what is going on, you have some idea. I was fully committed to my work and I carried my family along with that. Though there have been problems, but still I'm surviving with everything intact just because I have good people around me. My uh, only concern had been that I will certainly make compromises up to a certain level and no more. I like who I am, I'm happy with who I am. When the pressure comes from your near and dear ones whom you really love, uh, then it creates a pain and I don't think many women are able to bear that pain. My advice to the young girls would be, be committed to what you do, work extra hard. There are larger issues at stake. Please identify the larger issues and fight for those. We need more women in science because we don't know where those discoveries will come from. To get the girls there, they have to be caught very young. Even before you know, they start dreaming of just marrying and having children and having a good uh, family life, even before that, so that is where the parents' immense role comes in. Hi, I'm Vidita Vaidya. I'm a neuroscientist professor at the Tata Institute of Fundamental Research. Um, at home, we often had science and medicine around our dining room conversations. But I would say it was about when I was 13 years old that I got interested in the brain. And eventually, over time, that coalesced into an interest in neuroscience. And I found myself doing a PhD in neuroscience. Um, I don't think I was a naughty child really, but I was always a child who knew her own mind and that if someone told me 
this is what you should do, I might find myself asking why I should do it. We very actively pursue in the lab is to ask how drugs that treat some psychiatric disorders like depression and anxiety, how do they work? I had parents who believed in all possible horizons and dreams for me, and I knew I was unusual. I knew that I was not the standard story of the young girl in India. And yet, many young Indian girls don't even have the opportunity to uh, equal education, and equal nutrition, and equal access to any opportunities. Be true to the fact that in addition to being a scientist, you are a mother, you are a daughter, you are a wife, you are a sister. You have many other roles you play and you need to fulfill those. We've created an environment which is catering to the men and we're expecting women to bend everything that they do to fit into a system that is actually meant and catering for men. The guilt is an impossible one, you just live with it. You accept that there will be moments you're away from your child, but you do your best not to miss the important events in your child's life. So my advice to any young girl is stay true to that young version of yourself that believed in anything being possible. Because if you're true to that, then it's likely that no matter what question life throws at you, you'll be able to navigate and handle it. We need diversity in science with representation from people who have had experiences from all walks of life. So I would say that there's no question science needs women, science needs diversity.